0: Somewhere in the 1980s, uh, I read in a Time magazine article that the technological advances in the 10 years leading up to the time that I was reading the article had outpaced all of the rest of the advances in the history of the world. And I thought, my goodness, consider that. I mean, we live in electrically powered homes. We have perfected the internal combustion engine cars automobiles are in every part of the globe there's we have mechanical refrigeration polio vaccines we've learned how to fly and even if put a man on the moon for goodness sake several men on the moon if one of your phones goes off this morning if you forget to turn off your phone if you've forgotten that and your phone goes off the signal will have come from not in here It's out there somewhere, way out there. So we had not seen it at that time. There were no phones like that. I mean, anybody who had a cellular phone back then, it was almost as big as your automobile. It was very difficult to get it in there. You know, you had to, it's one of those things, took two hands to hold. Kind of like the Whopper, if you remember that. But I was thinking, you know, we hadn't seen the advances in those last 10 years. So what's coming? It didn't seem like much had changed between 1975 to 1985. But just think about the advances or the changes in our lives since 1985. Now, I'm going to imagine that most of us take those for granted. But, but just think about the increased survival rate among cancer patients. Um, th- think about the work that's being done on the genetic code. And... and And just think about the ways that we communicate with one another. The Internet is considered by many sociologists and historians one of the five greatest inventions in the history of mankind. I mean, it's up there close to fire and the wheel kind of a thing. But we take it for granted. Our kids are born into this world. I don't know what happened, but they born... Look, a three-year-old knows more about a computer than I do in many cases. And that's all they know more about me, so don't even get started with that. Smart Alex, I know who you are who are thinking that. Both knowledge and access to information are growing at an amazing and even alarming rate. I mean, there are people, really smart people, who think that by 2045 machines will take over or we will become one with machines. You know, we'll get hooked up. And you say, that is almost ridiculous. Like, No, really smart people think that's going to happen. Singularity, they call it. I think Rhett McLaughlin was the first person I ever heard talking about that. What has that done to us, though? We get our information. In fact, we demand our information in increasingly or decreasingly i should say we we want smaller bites of information and we want it in hd clarity color and creativity so what does that do into our ability to process information our movement toward ever shrinking attention spans just challenges our abilities to absorb and digest even slightly developed ideas and concepts, I mean most of us can, can can concentrate seriously if it's important for our jobs or if you know we need a good grade, so we 're going to think long enough to get a good grade. but to think about concepts on a on an extended basis is almost foreign to us i was I, I, i'm natured that way I love little bits of information i I remember I was on the streets of Washington, D.C. when I saw my first USA Today. And I I thought it was just a a Washington paper. You know, USA Today, here it is in the Capitol. Then I started finding it popping up everywhere. And I loved it because I could just boom, 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 boom. I I liked that. But the stuff that comes on the screens today is just, it's beyond me. I can't keep up. But those of you who are under 30 can. You keep up that very well. But sometimes it's difficult to think about arguments long term. I, I, I suppose it's a good thing that the gospel is relatively simple. And it can be quickly and easily explained and digested. Except that it cannot. The gospel is simple on one hand and yet it's deep at a level most people We'll never explore. This morning, as we crank up our study in Galatians, with the second of what is planned to be ten messages exploring Paul's letter to those churches in South Galatia, I'm going to challenge you to get into the habit on Sunday mornings of putting your oxygen tank on and preparing to go deep. Now, when we get to chapters 3 and 4, you're going to wonder if there's enough oxygen left in your tank to actually see what we need to see. Because, like, look, it's going to take more time than I've got oxygen. There is exceptional beauty in the deeps, though. Furthermore, if if Sean and David and I do our jobs as we go through this book of Galatians, you should leave here thinking, oh, it really doesn't seem all that complicated. Believe me. It is, and and we'll never really explore it at the depths we need to here on Sunday morning. So as you put that oxygen mask on and you go down with the rest of us, think about going back down later on your own. Now, you may recall from last week that Galatians is the first of Paul's letters that we have. We don't possess the original document of Galatians. We don't possess the the scroll that he wrote. I think if we did, we'd see marks that you wouldn't normally see. Paul didn't usually write letters. He wrote this letter or at least he signed it very big because he had eye problems. He usually dictated his letters to other people, but he makes a point of saying, "I Paul the apostle wrote this letter." We'll get to that when we get to chapter 6. So we don't have that document, but we have enough manuscripts And evidence that Paul wrote this letter that even liberal theologians acknowledge that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter in the Roman province to the churches in the Roman province of Galatia, the area that is modern day Turkey. Since most believers in these churches were either Jews or or God fearing Gentiles who knew a great deal about the Old Testament, Paul's arguments could be fairly complex. It, It was okay for that to happen. And he used. Old Testament passages at a rate that was exceeded in in his other letters, only in, in Romans. Now there are more references to the Old Testament in First Corinthians, but if you remember, First Corinthians is this this long, and and Galatians is about this long. So Paul is 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 peppering this letter with Old Testament references. And it's also, though, because of the fact that these people already knew a great deal about God, and when he preached the gospel to them, it made perfect sense. It's also why he preached and he wrote with such passion that, that frankly, at times, seems to border on intense anger and frustration. About 10 days or so ago Sean and I were coming back from Raleigh we had some meetings up in Raleigh and we were coming down 401 just before you get to um to 1010 and this young man came flying by us on a a motorcycle I mean I'm gonna guess he was somewhere north of 85 85 miles an hour and you know it was one of those curves and he was just leaning over and we were both you know we both said that's crazy what an idiot. Well, less than five seconds later, an unmarked police car came right by him, you know. And, and of course, as we do, we all, we went, yeah, yeah you know. We're glad for that. I'm glad whenever the patrolman pulls you. I don't like it when he pulls me. But. Because everybody who drives slower than you is an idiot. and I mean, a moron. And if they drive faster than you, they're an idiot. Well, this idiot came by us, hitting about 85. Well, there's a stoplight up there. And so the patrolman caught up with him. And by the time we got up there, I, I couldn't help it, you know, I rolled down the window. And uh, <clears throat> he, he was talking, you know, we were stopped and I rolled down the window and you could hear him for a long way. <laughs> the, the young man didn't take his helmet off. I don't blame him. I, I, you know, it was a spit shield. I, I think it was over his face. Because the patrolman was really hot. Now, what do you think he was upset about? Was he upset because the the young guy was trying to show him up with his fast driving, fancy driving? Of course not. He was saying something like, look, if you keep driving like an idiot, not only are you likely to die, but you're liable to take some with you. You're going to kill people out here. The book of Galatians has somewhat that spirit. Paul, I can just see Paul jabbing the air. You know, normally he would probably jab it and and dictate it, but he'd probably write a little bit and put it down, and he'd just, so frustrated. Last week, as we read the introduction to Paul's letter, he, he immediately got to his point. That was not typical of Paul. But he immediately got to his point, and he wasn't happy. So soon? Really? Already? It was less than a year I was there. I preached the gospel. You believed it. And now you're believing this other gospel, which really isn't a gospel at all. He challenged his readers to give a reason why they had so quickly departed. They were wavering on the gospel that he had preached to them. And and, and this gospel was the good news that Jesus had lived the life that we were incapable of living. And he died a death that we were ineligible of dying. He died so that we might be forgiven of our sins. God demanded a sacrifice. Jesus became that sacrifice. And when Paul told them the gospel that Jesus himself had given to him, which he's going to reiterate several times, he, he told them, it is Jesus plus nothing. But these Judaizers had come along and said <clears throat> to the Galatians, Look, Paul, Paul was told the gospel when he went to Jerusalem by Peter and James and some of those guys. And he got it a little bit confused. <clears throat> there is... Good news. The good news is that Jesus saves us from our sins, but the part that Paul didn't realize is that you get to stay saved by keeping the law. I mean, because anybody can just say, Oh, I believe in Jesus. What good is that, really? But if you obey the law, and that meant that the men would be circumcised as a sign of the covenant that existed between God and the Jewish nation. But Paul recognized this. If you submit to this requirement of these Judaizers, it indicates very clearly that you believe the gospel is Jesus plus keeping the law. And the gospel is this, Jesus plus nothing. Now look, let me just say from the outset, when when you say Jesus plus nothing, it scares people because they think exactly what the Judaizers were saying. Oh, you're just going to believe in Jesus and live any way. No, that's not what Paul was saying, that's not what I'm saying. If you believe in Jesus, if He is your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and He will not allow you to live just any old way you want to. You will live, the life of Jesus will flow through you. Paul knew that this gospel that the Judaizers were preaching was no gospel at all. So he told them, anyone who preached the gospel differently than he had preached, than he had preached it, Let him be accursed, eternally judged and damned, separated from God. Those are strong words. Well, today and next Sunday, we're going to read Paul's story. the, The account of his conversion and his subsequent training in the gospel by Jesus alone. And this is one of those mental challenges I was talking about earlier. The book of Galatians flows as one argument. You may have been here two, three years ago when we went through the book of Romans. It is just logically stacked, one point, one idea on top of another. And that's the way Galatians is as well. Almost all of Paul's letters are that way. There's always a pattern. He tells you first who you are in Jesus, and then he tells you what that should mean in the way that you live. But this story, right in the middle of this argument, Paul begins to talk about his testimony, his story, about how... He came to know Jesus and how Jesus gave him the gospel. And there are so many thoughts in here that are applicable to us as far as our story is concerned. The story that Scott was talking about in the prayer time that we've got to be sharing with other people. Our story is really Jesus' story. So today's text begins to tell us how the gospel came to Paul. He's telling his story here. We're going to read Galatians 1, 11 through 24. We're going to go to the end of the chapter. So if you would, please stand <clears throat> as we read God's Word together. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> For I would have you know, brothers, that's Paul. Whenever Paul said that, he was about to say something serious. It's kind of like somebody from the South say, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. That's, that's what Paul was saying. He was saying, listen to this. I'm, this is important. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, And tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Arabia, by the way, it, that he's talking about, is, it's, it extended a lot farther than it does now, the borders, and it was probably not too far from Damascus. So, in other words, he he didn't even go to Jerusalem. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would take these words and burn them deep in our hearts, and that we might leave this place committed to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and excited to share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. Galatians is neatly divided into three sections. With each of these sections containing... Uh, two chapters of the book. Book in the in, in the first two chapters, we are we're given the history of of Paul's story and the way that Jesus revealed the full explanation of the gospel to him. In the next section, chapters three and four, which actually begins a, a little bit in chapter two, it's not not quite as neat as as it looks on this screen, but almost. Uh, In chapters 3 and 4, we we have the complex theology that utterly destroys the idea that salvation has anything to do with our good works, just just destroys it. It's either Jesus alone or not Jesus at all. Then the last section, Galatians 5 and 6, tells us about our life in the Spirit and how That if we belong to Jesus and His Spirit, God's Spirit lives in us, in no way are we going to be taking advantage of the opportunity of of having fire insurance so that we can live any way that we It's just not going to be a part of who we are. And he goes on to say, oh, that, that beautiful passage about the fruit of the Spirit, when he finishes that, he says, there is no law against this. If the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, you are fulfilling the law. If He is in control of your life. Happens, you know, two three minutes out of every week. I think for most of us, maybe a little more than that. But, but when the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, we don't live any way we want to. We live the way He wants us to. Well, we're going to be spending total three weeks in this first section of Galatians, which means that we're going to tackle all of chapter two next Sunday. Today, we're going to spend most of our time in Galatians one eleven to sixteen. <clears throat> next week. If there's time in the morning service, we'll give a brief overview of, uh, of the chronology of Paul's life up till this point. How it all fits together because you have to pull from, you know, the book of Acts and back to Galatians. And um, <clears throat> occasionally, maybe actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 will come into play. So if we have time, we'll do that in the Sunday morning service so that it'll help to make sense of, of what Paul's talking about and when things occurred. If not, in the Sunday morning service, certainly in the home group notes. And even if you're not in home group this summer, the notes are going out. So if your leader does not choose to send them to you and you want them, gently remind him to please send those around. I want to say just a few words about verses 17 to 24, uh, if you can read that. Though we're not going to cover these verses in detail. You, You should have it in your Bible anyway. <clears throat> Paul was making the point in this section that no human being explained the gospel to him. His understanding of the gospel was given to him directly by Jesus. Now, if that's the case, think about this. If Jesus gave Paul the gospel that he preached, what about the the criticism today Of Paul who, by people who say, well, you know, Jesus preached the gospel one way, then Paul preached it another way. If you believe Paul, then you have to say that that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous criticism. And if you, I don't know how you work it out in your mind. I've never even come close to working it out in my mind. If you don't believe Paul, why do you believe anything in the Bible? I mean, if we can't trust this, how can we trust anything in the Bible? So, well, he got it wrong here. Oh, that's not right. Oh, well, who oversaw all of this? The God of the universe, the creator of the universe. But it's full of, it's riddled with errors. And it's, is Paul's personality? And you better believe it is. Is John's personality? Is Peter? Yes, their personalities are, are all over these pages. But when you study them, you understand there is no way that human beings could have written these verses as they are. So people were saying, Paul was in Jerusalem. They told him the gospel. He got it mixed up. He said, I was barely there. I was hardly there. Nobody told this to me. It came to, G, to me through Jesus, and in fact, I told the apostles how he had saved me, and they rejoiced in the Lord because of what God had done through me. That's what most of chapter 1 is about. Paul passionately affirming the gospel that he preached one year earlier was given to him by direct revelation of Jesus. Uh, some have speculated that Paul's three years in Arabia... Where time that, that that time was time spent with Jesus alone, and Jesus was teaching him the gospel in the same way that he spent three to three and a half years with the apostles. He spent three years with Paul. Hey, who knows it, certainly there 's an indication that Jesus gave Paul more than just what he heard on that road to Damascus, but <clears throat> the way Jews reckoned years. Three years could have been the three full years, or it could have been part of three years, as in, you know, December of this year through January of year after next. That's kind of the way they would reckon years, so it could have been three full years or or less. There seems to be little doubt, though, that while he was in Arabia, Paul was absorbed in the gospel. He was meditating on the Old Testament scripture because that was the only scripture that was available to him. He was thinking about it and he was understanding how the death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ completed this story that God had been building through the ages and through His Word. Well, the verses that we have just considered provide substance to Paul's contention from the first section, first verses of this section. The gospel that was preached by me was not man's gospel, for I didn't receive it by any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. You probably know this, but, but Paul was one of the most intelligent men alive in his day. Yet, he, he strove to make it clear that the gospel didn't come from his own clever deductions, but rather by a direct revelation from Jesus. Now, none of us are ever going to get a direct revelation from Jesus. Everything we know from God is in his word. Does that mean Jesus never appears to people today? I don't think so. I think Roy Lytle tells a story about Art Yoner. I think Jesus himself appeared to a lady in the jungles of Suriname. I think, as far as I can tell. But nobody gets a direct revelation from Jesus saying, this is the truth. Paul could say, thus saith the Lord, because Jesus told him directly. We don't get that privilege today. When the word was completed, everything we need to know from God was in here. Let me say, no less than what you need to know is in here too, though. This is God's Word. Most likely, um, when Paul was trying to destroy the church, we're told in Acts 7 that when Stephen shared from the Old Testament and how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, that people stoned him to death and that they laid their feet, they laid their... cloaks at Paul's feet, you know, said, let me take this jacket off so I can get a good throw. Well, that probably indicates that Paul was the one who said, kill him. Absolutely. He gave permission for them to kill Stephen. And when he talked with Stephen, or excuse me, when Stephen talked and told the gospel, Paul heard it in its rawest, earliest days, its rawest form. It wasn't the fully developed gospel that Paul would preach later. But he began to understand how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And he saw Stephen look up into the heavens and recognize it. He saw something that nobody else saw. So when God came to, to Paul, when Jesus came to him a few years later, just a short time later, not even, may not have even been years, maybe just months, when, when God came to him on that road to Damascus, it all came together, and it all made sense. So, Paul proceeds to tell his story. Now, he did this on several occasions when it was recorded Uh, As is recorded in Acts, and and at various points in his letters to the churches, and individuals. So here's this 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 man who is brilliant. He was a brilliant lawyer, a, a powerful debater, and yet he was saying, "This gospel didn't. It's not my own imagination. It's nobody else told me this. Jesus told it to me directly." And 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 when he would tell. Others about the gospel, he would choose to do so by sharing his story. That's the way he got God's truth across. He would tell his story to people and tell them how Jesus saved them as a, him as a way of making sure that they heard the gospel. When I was a young Christian, I, I learned several different ways to witness. Look, lots of you that are close to my age know exactly what I'm talking about. There, there, we had all kinds of different methods The Roman road, uh, four spiritual laws, evangelism, explosion, almost all of them began with the question. If you were to die today, do you know that you would be... And and, and God asked you a question, why should I allow you into heaven? What would your answer be? I I don't mean this sarcastically at all. In fact, when I was thinking about this, I was going to say that later, but I want to say it up front. I don't mean this sarcastically at all. I do not. But it was like a salesperson making a pitch. You know, you say, let me tell you this, this, this about God's plan for your life. Now, will you receive this or not? Nothing at all wrong with that. A logical explanation of the way to know God was quite effective in the 70s and 80s in a, in, in a modern era. We are in a postmodern era, though, and in our present day... The story of the gospel interwoven into our own stories and into the stories of others may be a more effective way of presenting the gospel. And in fact, Paul was, like I said, he was one of the great debaters of all time. And yet so often, in in certain circumstances particularly, he would tell his story because it's difficult to argue with the story of somebody's life. When you say... This is who I was, and this is who I am now. People recognize how true it is, and it gives credence to, to what we're saying. I, I'm going to admit that if somebody <clears throat> were to ask me this afternoon, um, how do I become a Christian? I would say, let's go to Romans, and I would, because I'm very comfortable with that. I, I would explain it logically. See, one of the things that we want to do and we think about with witnesses, witnessing is explaining it before people are ready to hear it. <clears throat> and so it comes off maybe, especially again in our day. It didn't come off this way in the 70s and 80s, but in our day, <clears throat> it may come off as canned and, and just a presentation that you that you go through. Um, in Romans we have to talk to people about sin and about the penalty for sin and about Jesus' sacrifice and His call for us to respond by repentance and faith, respond to the gospel that way. We will always eventually have to give an explanation of the gospel of why it is that Jesus is the answer to our need. But I'm going to guess that you'll have a lot more opportunities and and that you'll get further with the gospel in our day if you weave the gospel into the current of life that you're enjoying, just like Scott was talking about this morning. You've got these circles. You're in and you're moving along through life with these people. Show them the gospel In, in addition to sharing the gospel. It's not just a matter of what we say. It's if the gospel owns us. So, when is the last time you told your story about how the life that you enjoy with Jesus was something that occurred in a point in time and also... It was all his doing. There are several pointers in our text that are going to help guide us in our witness. Paul begins telling his story by speaking about his former life in Judaism. In other words, Paul was extremely religious, ridiculously so. He was so violently opposed to Christianity that he made it his mission to stamp out the church to completely... Do away with it. And I imagine that Paul thought that he stood a pretty good chance of doing just that. And I'm going to also imagine that <clears throat> believers in that early, those early days of Christianity, the early days of the church, believers who had a difficult time trusting God's sovereignty were thinking that he had a pretty good chance of doing that as well. Almost anyone who had anything to do with Judaism... Or the church knew about Paul's former life. He was not only an up and comer, he was already a star in the Jewish religion. If I were to ask you today to tell me about your life before Jesus, how would you articulate it? I mean, some of you were wild. Actually, some of you still are pretty wild. some of you were very religious and some of you cannot remember a time when you didn't believe in Jesus, when you didn't trust what He did on the cross as payment for your sins. I was saved when I was 18 years old and I have a bit of a colorful past. You you can ask Jim and Joy Aycock and Evelyn Pierce and Daniel who are here this morning. They can tell you that's true. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, You know, my testimony is not very exciting. Sometimes I kind of wish, you know, that I had a more exciting... No, you don't. You don't wish that. Those of you who are in here who did have a past that you regret know exactly what I'm talking about. When you read Paul's letters, you get the sense that he terribly regretted his past. I mean, he rested in God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. But if he could have changed his past, he would have. Not too many years before the end of his life, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he called himself the foremost of sinners. I am the worst sinner who has ever lived, and yet God saved me. I think we can all understand how Paul felt with his past. But the truth is, every one of us has a right to feel this way. In fact, every one of us should feel this way. Regardless of what our past looks like. Apart from Jesus, God tells us. We are enemies of God. We're sheep going our own way. We are deserving recipients of God's wrath. But in Jesus we are rightly related to God if you can't remember a time when you didn't acknowledge Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sins then I am very happy for you and it's okay And don't let that cause doubt in your mind even so you were lost and condemned before you knew Jesus born again implies that there was a change at some point And if you don't remember it, that's okay, because Scripture also emphasizes that the one who is believing that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you don't know when you were saved, don't worry about it, as long as you're not trusting anything else to get to heaven except Jesus. And that's what this whole book is about. Don't trust anything else. It's not your good works, because See, your mind plays tricks on you. When I, I, I got saved when I was 18, like I say, May 1st, and it just went right by. It was like 40 years ago, this past May 1st, and, and it went right by me. Didn't even think about it, but it may have something to do with the 40 years and where I am all that kind of stuff. Look at what happened when Paul shifts his discussion, his, his talk about the gospel from his former life to the life that he now and in Jesus. I was going to talk about how when I was first saved, I didn't fully get that Jesus, I didn't really understand all of that. In fact, um, my friend had told me that his pastor had said, look, when you come to God, you got to go through Jesus. And that's what I did. I just got on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm coming through Jesus and immediately, my life was changed. The pastor that told my friend that, by the way, was Jim Acock. So it's one of those circles, isn't it? Cycles. Um, and so, I would think, though, later, you know, I don't know how much... Did I really understand it? Well, if I haven't been saved, then I need to pray for God to forgive me and save me. And, and then I need to be baptized. Look, if it'll get you there, I've been under four times, I'm, I'm first in line. Well, first in line in this group, I imagine. Unless you're a, you've been a Mormon in your past, you ain't been baptized more than I have, I can almost assure you. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> your mind, though, starts to say, well, did I know enough that I do it just... Look, that's a trick of Satan. It's, it's, it's kind of a works thing. That's, what that's saying is, my salvation is dependent upon me getting it right, rather than God bringing me into his family. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But for right now, look at this. Look at the difference between my former life and who I am now. I, me, my. But now it's God, him, his son, his work. In me. You know, if you know Jesus and you're interacting with other people, you shouldn't have to force a witness such as, that reminds me. Of a time when Jesus was by the lake. And he said, behold, the water. You know, something like that. We shouldn't have to do that. It should just flow naturally. Have you ever offered just to pray for someone who's going through a difficult time? Someone who doesn't know Jesus? Listen, you know what that does? If If you say... Look, I, I know this is a tough time. Do you mind if I, I, this may seem weird, but do you mind if I just pray for you? They'll probably go, well, well, no. that, Sure, I guess so. <laughs> and they may be crying by the end of the prayer. Because in that time, they understand that God is real to you. And God is real. And they have a need. And you've got something that they don't have. What is it that you have that they don't, well, your story is a good bit more like Paul's than you, you may think. Before we wrap up this morning, let's talk about what it is we have. Uh, we need to think through a few things in, in, in these verses 15 and 16 that say a good bit about Paul's story and our story. First, Paul said that God set him apart to be saved before he was born. Now, wait just a minute. This is the guy who was killing Christians. And God had planned this before he was born. What happened? Was God in some other part of the world when Paul was out there killing Christians? No. It was all a part of God's plan. So again, I want to say, what? can't make any more sense of this than you can but I do believe this and I I think most of you do as well God is sovereign and God is good God is good God is sovereign if you are a Christ follower your conversion was set in stone according to Ephesians 1 before the world began no matter how you lived Before you knew Jesus. Secondly. Paul said that God called him. By his grace. If you are in a relationship with God. A right relationship with God. It is because of his goodness. Not yours. It is his grace. Not your good works. Make sure you emphasize that. When you tell others. About your story. Make sure that you also emphasize. The third point that Paul made. God was pleased to reveal his son to you now just think about that if you know jesus it's because god was pleased to reveal his son to you when i first began sharing my story that 40 years ago and i did i mean i came out of the gate screaming about jesus I, I, I talked about how I found the Lord. It wasn't too long before I realized my eyes were open, And I realized that, that God found me. Somebody, you know, would say something about Eh, the Lord doesn't say, well, you know, I, I guess it was the Lord leading. You know, well, you know, isn't it interesting that that circumstance happened and that coincidence. And then you realize it was Him. He sought me out in fact, and open my eyes to the beauty and the glory of Jesus. The longer we go and grow in Him, the more natural it becomes to communi- our, communicate our story to others as it is in reality His story in our lives. And when that happens, God receives glory. Paul said, when I told them my story, they glorified God when they heard it. It's what separates true Christianity from other religions, including a religion of the gospel that includes good works as a part of one's relationship with God. It's not surprising that false religions and false gospels that men devise always end up glorifying human beings. There's some law to keep some ritual to perform, some penance to endure, some state of consciousness to achieve. It always glorifies man. One way or another, we can climb up to heaven and reach God. If not in this life, the next one. The pure gospel tells another story altogether. What distinguishes the truth of God from other world religions and false gospels? is that salvation originates from God, with God. It comes from God, not from within us. The one true gospel is not man-made, as Paul went to great lengths to affirm. And that's why all glory goes to God. The good news of the cross, that sounds so contradictory, doesn't it? It does not when you add the good news of the cross and the empty tomb could only come from, from God because it's about what God has done for us, not what we've done for him. That's Paul's story. If you belong to Jesus, that's your story. And our story should always begin and end with Jesus. Let's pray. Well, maybe you're here uh, this morning and all this talk about the gospel is somewhat new to you. You've heard the word, but never really quite gotten your mind wrapped around it. Maybe you've been in church most or all of your life. But you were always under the impression that your relationship with God depends on you. On your good works. Maybe you, somewhere along the way, like I did before I was 18, I, I went to Baptist Church, and I, I got in my mind that it's important to believe in Jesus, but it's also necessary to continue to do good works so that on the scales of God's justice, our good works will outweigh our bad ones, and God'll let us into heaven. Maybe some, somewhere deep down in your soul, you feel that God is good, which He is. You also feel that somehow He's just going to let you in. You're going to get in. That isn't true. It's not. God requires a payment for our sin. And though we were incapable of paying for our sin, the good news, the good news of the gospel which is redundant really, is that Jesus was eligible and he did die for us. And when you acknowledge that you are a sinner before God and that you have no hope of heaven apart from Jesus' death on the cross, and when you put your belief and your trust in his death that was offered in your place, So that's when you become His child and when the good works begin to flow because Jesus lives inside of you. So do you know Jesus? If not, would you just humble your heart before Him and ask Him to cleanse you of your sin? If you want to know more about this, talk to me after the service and I'll connect you with someone that can explain it carefully how you can know that when you die, you are going to heaven because of your relationship with God through Jesus. If you do know Jesus, are you sharing your story? Are you sharing His story in your life? You have the relationship with God that you do because somebody else was willing to share it with you. This gospel this good news. God is calling you to share your story and share the gospel. And if you will, I promise you that you will not regret it. It may be difficult. People may laugh in your face. I promise you, you will not regret sharing that story. Oh, Father. live with ourselves every day and 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 so much of what goes on in our lives is about how we plan them and think about them and what we do and and the gospel is that you're the big deal not us and and that lord is even not even close to the whole truth it's it's because the creator god of the universe loved us that much that even in our sin sent his son to die that we might have life. What a substitution. What a sacrifice. What an exchange. Jesus' death for our life. We're so grateful and we praise your name for who you are. Lord, for those maybe who have been here today and are just processing all of this, I pray that your spirit of God would would, would reveal the truth of your word to all of our hearts. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gospel.